Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We've got the whole day through. That's not the words, but I know. I mean, that, that's our words. That's, that's the, our words. So that's trademarked now. Nobody else. So can you take and it. I both did something separately, but I feel it was you know together. our souls were together. Our souls were. We together. both saw that beautiful movie, The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid. It was so so good. good. Like I cried probably same seventy five percent of the time. Aquafina was so funny. I just, scuttle. I, scuttle. Oh my gosh. Oh my I God. Loved when she turned used... around, when Sebastian was like, are you listening? And she turned around and went, yes. <laughs> and their little rap, like I just. Oh, I, yes. Yes. And I guess I like kind of missed the memo that when Man Miranda was even was like also a, writing, a part yeah, of it. I know. But you could like the second I heard Sebastian, I was like, that's David. Yep, that that's David, and yeah. I was like, and I could hear just a little bit. Sometimes he would go a little bit outside of the the Jamaican accent, and I was like, there he is. But <laughs> I just the whole thing, Halle Bailey was yeah. fantastic, amazing. Like just her, her part of your world. I got chills. Oh, I mean, I was sobbing. I was just, I was yeah. just sobbing. Like at one point, I'm like, I saw it in 3D. And so, like, oh, my did? glasses are getting, like, <sighs> fogged up. It was so – I can't even imagine not seeing it in 3D. You have to go back. Oh, I have to go back and see it in 3D. It's so – I mean, like, just the fish coming kind of out at you. It wasn't oh, in your face. It was, like, perfect. Oh, and amazing. it was so good. And and literally at the end of it, like, a couple people started clapping. And they're yeah. like, oh, I'm not really sure. And then everybody was like, oh, we're doing this? Yes. And so the entire theater clapped because it was – just so good. And just the message, the messaging. They like really honed in the whole bringing two worlds together. I mean, mm-hmm. Javier Bardem, are you serious? Like, there's so many amazing people in it. I had the best time. So go see it, people. It's really good. Absolutely. I agree. Well, I'm really excited about our guest today. Are you? So excited. So excited. Yeah. Love this person so much. I mean, Todd and her have been friends for a while, so that's great. But now she's my friend too. And I don't know. I just had so much fun talking to her. Yeah, she's hilarious and she's got such a great perspective. Do you want to tell everybody about her? Yes, I will. So Tony Award nominee L. Morgan Lee is an American actress and storyteller. She recently made history as the first openly transgender actor to receive a Tony Award nomination for her standout work in a strange loop. That performance also garnered her an Antony Award for Best Featured Performance and a Drama League Distinguished Performance Award nomination. With over 20 years of off-Broadway, regional, and both national and international tours, some of L. Morgan's other notable work includes portraying artists Lily Elb in the stage adaptation of the novel The Danish Girl being developed in London in a strange loop off-Broadway at Playwrights Horizons, where she received an Obie Award and the distinction of being the first openly transgender actor to originate a role in a Pulitzer Prize-winning piece of theater. A recipient of the Mark O'Donnell Prize, Elle Morgan is dedicated to championing stories centering the voices of women on both stage and screen. In the recording studio, L. Morgan can be heard reading Hurt People, Hurt People, an essay written by LGBTQ plus advocate Laverne Cox for Tarana Burks and Brene Brown's anthology, You Are Your Best Thing, Vulnerability, Shame, Resilience, and the Black Experience. So without further ado, I give you L. Morgan Lee. 
Okay. Well, good afternoon, L. Morgan Lee. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Fabulous. We are great. We are so happy to have you on the program. How's your day? Well, it's still just getting started for the most part. <laughs> trying to get things situated here. <laughs> Hoping that we sound okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're all trying to get situated. I'm not sure we really got there, but, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out as Take we go. Take it till you make it, y'all. Yeah, this is a journey. So... <laughs> Well, we're just going to go ahead and get right started here. So we know you are no stranger to the spotlight, but for our listeners, can you please tell us a little bit about your upbringing, where you grew up, and what brought you to where you are today? Oh, wow. The whole history. I was born and raised in the Maryland, D.C. area, graduated from high school, went to college in Philadelphia, moved to New York, and started trying to pound the pavement, as they say. And 20 years later, finally got to Broadway. (laughs) And so so that's where I am. I mean, this last year has been sort of mind-blowing in a lot of ways and quite complex, but has had some of the highest crazy highs with the Tony nomination and all that stuff kind of going through. It feels weird to talk about it yourself, but that was great. And then now I am on the recovery spot and sort of seeing what happens next. Oh, wow. Right. Well, congrats on the Tony nomination, by the Thank way. You. That is just like... We'll get to that later, too. But yes, Yes, we are so excited for for you. Why is it weird to talk about it yourself? I'm not that girl that's like, oh, well, I'm L. Morgan. Here I am. You know, I've won this. Don't you want to know me? Like, I'm not not, not that girl. And so it's like actually very awkward for me to talk about like some of the cool things that have happened because to me, it sounds a little like conceited. But I think that's just also because we are trained not to fluff our own feathers or not to feel proud of the things we've done or mm-hmm. in places that we've gotten. So it's something that sort of I'm always sort of working through. It's funny you say you were no stranger to the spotlight, but there is a part of me that is like deathly afraid of the spotlight at the same time. It's like what we do. I love creating art in ways that are exciting and like, you know, new and engaging, but At the same time, I'm a bit of an introvert. So it's Mm. like, I like, like, even in my concert, there's the, I had a concert very recently. And like, at the end of the show, I get very uncomfortable just standing in front of the microphone in front of an audience, because it doesn't feel natural to me. And the very last song, last two songs of the show, actually, I started it and was like, ugh, and I walked away from the microphone. (laughs) And like, I got the, (laughs) I got the video. And like, legit you just sort of see me leave the microphone and then just step into this space where like half of my body is lit my face is no longer lit but I actually got to sing because it was about making music with these people on stage and having that sort of spiritual experience of singing that Mm -hmm. I think some of us really find and love Mm -hmm. and it wasn't about like doing a show as much as sharing this art with these people and so it didn't while I probably won't share that video anywhere because it looks crazy with my whole face in the dark. <laughs> You're like fans of the opera. Like, well, there are her breasts and there's the bottom of the dress. <laughs> like, there's no face. Could be anybody. Like, it could be like an artistic expression. <laughs> but I was like, that was such a very real, like, this is El Morgan. Like the light finds a way of finding me, but I'm not always in search of it. Oh, I love that. That's actually very beautiful. I'm always intrigued by people that 
go into the arts that are introverts because I just can't imagine the anxiety and like, <laughs> I love a microphone. I cannot sing. So God saved y'all from that situation, but I'm sure it's got to be an interesting battle. But when did you know you wanted to pursue a career in the arts? When I learned that there was a possibility because I didn't grow up thinking that it was a real job. It mm. was something that I did and I've been doing since I was as early as being able to talk. So when I found out that there was a school where I could focus on that, which was high school, I went to Duke Ellington in DC for the first two years of high school. I was excited about that because before that I had just been ready to go to like a Georgetown prep situation. <laughs> and then they were like, there's an art school. And I went, oh, well, I need to audition for that. And so once I found out that that was possible, then it was into the game. Yeah. So you kind of share that with Todd. Todd also went to an arts yeah. school. Mm-hmm. We did. We're a different breed. Yes. <laughs> Kids. Well, in a good way. <laughs> I said that too yeah, quickly. In a good way. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, did you always know that you wanted to be on Broadway specifically, or did you see your artistic expression going in a different direction? Oh, I always certainly wanted to be on Broadway. In particular, I think it's interesting, the relationship with Broadway shifted over the years. So, you know, right out of school, there was a Broadway or bust situation. It was like the only thing I wanted. I, don't, I mean, many kids graduate from college and we are just like, so confident and full I'm of here, ourselves. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm in New York. And I'm, of course, I'm going to be on Broadway. Where else would I go? And it's you like, just stand boo. there and they wait for somebody to pull you inside. Like, boo, like you're going to audition and you might not book it. <laughs> and then you get and then you get accustomed to the idea that you're probably not going to book a Broadway. <laughs> and I didn't get to that place. I knew that the right thing had not come along or the right opportunity had not come along. For me, it's interesting because the day of my Broadway debut, I sat in my dressing room and like I was so I mean, I'm emotional anyway, but I was so emotional and like extra emotional that everything made sense to me. It was like you had to get to this point to have your Broadway debut. And for me, there was this element of people did not know how to take me before transition, before like people just sort of didn't see me clearly because, quite frankly, I wasn't showing them my full true self. And so it made perfect sense that when I started telling the truth to the world that I was then received by it. Like there was something really interesting in that, like when I was honest with the world about who I am people were then able to clearly see me. Now, that's not to say that they understand everything or they're getting things right. Or they, but I think that the first steps towards a better understanding started then. So it made sense that for me, like 20, you know, 15 years or so of pounding the pavement, like certainly I had been building and going in and out. I wasn't, you know, I was not that girl that was like, I'm auditioning every day for 15 years. Like I wasn't that girl and I've never been. But at the same time, it's like, of course, I was always working on craft and working on self. And it's one of those like testaments to like the more you know yourself, the more you're able to tell stories. And so like when I was honest with the world, the world began to see me and it made sense that, of course, that's when Broadway happened. Yeah. Well, that's per- like, I think that's so beautiful because I think it applies to a lot of things in life. Like people mm-hmm. are trying to kind of fake it, not being their genuine selves. And then they're like, why isn't this working? And it's like, right. well, <laughs> maybe you need to kind of look within. Yeah. But as we talked about, you 
were nominated for a, to- a Tony, which is absolutely amazing for a leading role in the musical A Strange Loop. So congrats again on that. It's for a featured role in A Strange Loop. Oh, oh okay. A featured. featured. Not quite the leading Tony. <laughs> okay. All right. Fe- well, I think Coming that's the soon. same thing. So... <laughs> And you, this was on your Broadway debut. Yeah. So when asked in an interview on MSNBC what that meant to you, your response was, my only mission is to be the hero that I needed to see. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate more on that for us? Sometimes I say pretty things. <laughs> I listen to, <laughs> Keep I, legit, I legit will like listen to interviews and be like, oh, wow, that was really nicely put. Like, good job. <laughs> Knowing Who that- is that lady? <laughs> In my mind, I was like, oh, God, how do I answer this question? Like, don't sound crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it ultimately is just growing up. I knew how I felt inside. My journey is sort of wild because it's like I knew I always knew about myself as a child. But the idea that I was having these thoughts was ridiculous to me. And I was very like, that's not realistic. That's not possible. Never going to happen. So just tuck that away and get used to what is. Mm. which is like such a like (laughs) such a really like oppressive and like such an (laughs) oppressive place to think as a child Mm -hmm. but I think it was just I was very reality based in my like I only believe what I can see and so I never saw examples of me and I never saw examples of people who sort of were told this and then knew that they were this. I never saw that as a child. And so I grew up watching the Tonys and watching all these things, but there was no representation of me anywhere there. And so I got lost in the dream of all of these women in the space who were getting to perform and getting to do things. I got, you know, Wizard of Oz would come on every year and I got lost in the joy of the idea of playing Dorothy one day. That ain't gonna happen. But it's one of those things where I got lost in those fantasies and in those dreams. And so getting to a point where I started to get a bit of a platform and people were asking those kinds of questions, the like point of it all started to become really, I just want to be that example for someone else. I, the person that I didn't see, I want to be that person for them because they need to know that it's possible. Whoever she is out there, and, and that could be one person, that could be 50 people, that could be however many people. I want them to know that it is possible that you already know who you are. Oof. That's yeah. beautiful. See, that was another beautiful thing that you just said. I don't well even put. know if you were like, don't sound <laughs> I crazy. I but- just go on rants. That's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. That's what this well, is for. Exactly. <laughs> we're going to have you elaborate a little bit more on what you were just discussing. We talk a lot on the show about trauma and identity and overcoming hardship. Mm, light topics. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, light <laughs> topics. Exactly. As a child, when did you know that you were actually, quote unquote, different? And did you always know who you were inside? And, or did it become clearer once you were able to fully live authentically as yourself in transition? Mm, that's a complex question. Well, I mean, even today, I am different. Even Mm -hmm. inside of all of my intersections, I'm still different. (laughs) I never get to feel just like the average normal. (laughs) I I never, because like, even it's like, it's like you come to this, like, I'm a black trans woman and I'm so, I feel good in my skin. I'm like, I feel like I'm free and I'm able to like live and exist like freely for myself, at least not the world around us has a whole lot of issues, but in my own truth, I can be happy with that. And even inside of my and inside of my own community, I'm like I am a little odd. Like I'm a little different. My my <laughs> my just the fact that like like I'm not striving for some of the things that so many of the other girls seem to be striving for. Not all, but 
I think we keep seeing sort of a same narrative over and over again. And like, I challenge that in a lot of ways, which I don't necessarily want to talk about those ways just because that's a whole nother conversation. But Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm not in a box. I've never been in a box. But I say that I had like little breadcrumbs always out there to pick up. I just didn't quite see them. I kept walking past them or around them. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to ask this question because I remember before you transitioned, we had a conversation at Dallas Barbecue and you told me, you were like, I think next year... Yeah, that all place <laughs> with an Where extra big shot. conversations happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you said something very poignant. You said, I'm going to share something with you. I think I'm going to let her out. And Ooh. I said, you remember this conversation? I don't remember that conversation, but I remember that language. Yeah, you said, mm-hmm. I'm going to let her out. And I said, what do you mean? You said, there is another part of me that I have been hiding from the world that I think I'm going to just let, I don't know what it means. I don't know where it's going. So I just wanted to know from there to now. Mm. That was a, that was like, that was a while ago, but yeah, I, I mean, just wanted to know, do, do you feel like more authentically? Ago. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Cause, and I, re- cause I remember that exact language because there was this idea I was feeling like I wasn't free. Like I was feeling very, like things in my life just were not working out, be it relationships, be it like career, be it just things were not gelling. And I was like, what is going on? And I started doing photography really like actively and was finding such voice in the photography work. And the thing that was beautiful about it is that I was able to like talk to the people that I was shooting and help them to find like the most grounded sort of true self without the expectations of the world being on their shoulders. Like that was one of the things I would actually ask them. I'd say, I mean, I asked you this talk. It's like one of the things I'd say, who are you when you strip away what the world thinks you are? When you strip away all the stress, all the expectations, all the assumptions, I want to take pictures of that human who's there at the end of all that, when it's just you by yourself. That's who I want to find. I thought like the work and the, the art that was coming out of those sessions felt so honest and felt so beautiful. And then I started going, wait a minute, ask yourself the same question. Like, who are you when you are most, when you feel your most powerful, when you feel your most authentic, when you feel your most real, who is that? And I realized that there were like moments along the way over the years where I really had tapped into a sort of more what's the way to word that I tapped into a a more, I don't want to say feminine presenting because that's, what is that? But I tapped into, I tapped in a space where I was allowing myself to like dress a different way or present in a different way, sort of privately. And like when I was in those moments, I felt sort of the most, like I was not acting. And I was like, there's something to this idea of like pulling her out and tucking her away again. Like putting her out for this, if it's an event or or something I need to do, I can like pull her out for that and then I can tuck her back away again. I was like, why do I keep tucking her away though if I feel really comfortable? Why is it that I feel like that's not true? So I thought that there was just this 20% of myself that I was not allowing to be free. And so I was like, I'm going to let, as if it was a bird in a cage. I was like, I'm just going to let her out of the cage and just live freely. And I don't know what that means or what that looks like, but I'm just going to allow myself to just be and I don't know what that means, but we'll see. And once I did, I then realized that I had actually been living on 20%. Mm. The very thing I was running away from was the thing that gave me wings. Mm. Wow. It's like allowing myself to just be, because even it's interesting because I think of like 
those moments I would, <laughs> if I thought about how that looked in terms of clothing, it was like the highest of heels, like the most makeup, just, I mean, just as like slutty as I could possibly look. Just this, just this on, just this regular like Halloween girl, like summer mm-hmm. moment. And like, it's so funny because I think about that and I'm like, girl, like you really just like, you needed to like let go because to get me in a pair of heels now is like, uh, yeah, like, yeah, you're over. <laughs> I'm wearing Uggs like year round. <laughs> I'm wearing flats through the entire Tony season. I was wearing flats, underdresses, like nobody knew. Like, it's like the stuff I went through. I'm like, you needed to like stretch that band as far as it could go to the other side to like allow it to spring back and find yourself. Right. Yeah. Wait a minute. You were wearing flats under that Christian Siriano dress. Oh, I had tennis shoes on under that Christian Siriano. Oh, oh my God. My I knew my God. hero. <laughs> I had rainbow sparkly Betsy Johnson tennis shoes on. Well, at least they were, I mean, they were sparkly. So <laughs> there's that. So if anybody asked, you're like, look at me. You're like, I am going to be comfortable tonight. Yeah. <laughs> there is a picture of me with my dress and the shoe showing. And the shoes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I have to find that picture. I mean, you need to at any point possibly run away if you have to. So, like, the tennis <laughs> shoes are, are a good way to get, you know, the paparazzi off you or whatever. <laughs> well, my thought was, if for some reason this dress just keeps going, number one, that it gown was, was yeah, so it's gorgeous. Huge, and yeah. I kept thinking it will be just my luck. I am a bit of a klutz and, like, I have to be careful because <laughs> all I could see was me, like, rolling down the yeah. <laughs> And people you know being like, oh, well, there she goes. There's that trans girl <laughs> sticking out on the credit card. <laughs> Just Everybody ABC else is News, like, they're interviewing people, and you see me rolling by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would have made it look good either way. But, you know, I, I kind of want to know, like, when did you feel as a child or, or was it like kind of adolescence? Like, when did you start to feel like, you were not in necessarily the body that you wanted to be in. Mm. So I never had the wrong body feel Okay, as a kid. I knew it's so interesting because we are taught boys are this, girls are this. Like we're taught very clear lines. There was something about, I didn't think about, it's interesting. I never thought about the body element as a child. I just knew that I wasn't a boy. Mm-hmm. And so I would, there were moments that I had forgotten, quite frankly, until like after transition, when I sort of, it's like something started to get unlocked about your past. It's like, as if you like start to walk on the right journey, all of a sudden you start remembering things that like, oh, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, along the way, all the things you could have remembered that would have helped you throughout. But I remember being like six years old, like waking up in the middle of the night, looking up at the like ceiling in my room and just sobbing, saying, if I woke up and I was a girl, everything would be better. Everything would be okay. Because I knew that that was, I just knew that people didn't see me every day. And what they were seeing, I felt like was sort of a facade in some ways. And I felt like I was acting. I felt Wait, like I was how old were you when you felt that way? Like six. I mean, this was oh probably like goodness. six, five, six, seven, that area. So you knew. Yeah, yeah. But like, I tucked it away. And I feel like I had been performing the role of a boy for so many years. And like, I think I got so accustomed to what that was that I just sort of went, well, I guess this is what it is. I never felt like, like, even when I, you know, 
came to talking about things like sexuality and things, it was assumed that I was gay. So I just took it because it was like, I guess that that's what I have to be. Mm-hmm. Because it was like, it was never like, this is me. It was like, well, I guess that's what I have to be because that makes sense with, I guess, like, this is what it is. I didn't, at that point, I had been sort of tucked away the idea that I could be trans for so long that like, it wasn't, I didn't even know that word then. So like, at that point, I didn't really meet someone who was trans until I had graduated from college and was in New York City and like, started singing backup for a trans singer songwriter. And like, I met her and was like, mesmerized. And I knew that number one, I was mesmerized because the music was exceptional. But I knew that there was something deeper about her that I couldn't put my finger on. And like, she was in a place in her transition that was like very much about like getting a boob job and getting all these sort of like, you know, sort of medical affirming surgeries. And like, I didn't connect to those at that point in my life. And so the only narrative about trans people at that point that I had seen and not from her, but just when I started to open my eyes and look around and start to find examples of trans people, all of a sudden, the only narrative I saw was people who were depressed, people who felt like they were in the wrong bodies, people who felt suicidal, people who had really, really extreme versions of trauma built specifically around gender. And I didn't feel those things because for what I felt, I was happy. I just didn't feel like I was honest. It's like, I felt like my ceiling of happiness had a limit and that's kind of where I was. And so I was okay with it because I've been living on that 20%. And so it's when I started to meet people. It's interesting when I started to meet people who were actually non-binary folks Mm. that cracked me open because these were humans who were asking questions about gender that I'd never heard before. And they were asking questions that I was like, well, that's weird. I'm not going to like, that's crazy. I'm not going to think that. But at the same time, I was like, "Mm, but maybe I should pay attention to these questions because they're interesting. And like, why are we not all asking ourselves some of these questions? Like, would they not just support ourselves? In our day, we weren't allowed to ask those questions. No. I don't even even remember it ever. Like, like the having word a gender conversation. Binary ever being like oh my God, in anybody's vocabulary. The word gender was not even really used like that. Yeah. Like it's it's like these are not things that like I had access to or we had access to in that way. So meeting non-binary people, that sort of cracked me open and made me ask some questions of myself, like deeper questions. I always say it's as if there was like my whole life, there was a door in front of me with lights flashing underneath it. And when I met non-binary people and then started to ask myself questions about gender and then said, okay, something's different. This is around the time Todd that I was like, I need to let her out the cage. I don't know who she is. I'm gonna let her out. That's when I say I opened the door and like stepped inside of that room for the first time and then realized there was a lot of unpacking that needed to be done. In my journey, I initially thought that I was non-binary because these questions made sense and I didn't feel depressed and suicidal. So this must be the case. And there goes all that unpacking. So once I started unpacking and looking at things, it was like, oh, no, 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 sweetie, you're a girl. Like, you're, you're, you're actually just a girl. You're like, you're just like kind of like a boring girl. <laughs> like, it's really like not like you're kind of an old fashioned kind of boring girl. And like, and that's okay. And you don't have to feel extremely depressed or suicidal or all these things that society wants everyone to believe that trans people are. You don't have to be that to be trans. 
And so for me at that point, I was like, well, then you know what? I'm in my thirties. Like if I'm going to do this, then this needs to be about love. We keep putting out this hashtag trans is beautiful. And we keep saying all these things. And my thought was, well, what does that look like? My transition to me is now really about learning to love and embrace the fullness of who you are. And in that way, everybody is transitioning, quite frankly, because we're all daily trying to figure out what it means to love ourselves and what it means to embrace and be centered in who we are. We're all trying to do that. And so what does that look like? Oh my For gosh, sure. so many goosebumps. That's so like, I don't know, very poignant. I mean, I think it, it and it's eye-opening. It's almost like you're, you went towards the non-binary because it felt like, I think, less of a box, like that whole thing. And then it's kind of like, but I kind of do I'm know who I am. But I am in a box. So I need to like make a little hole, like a little hole to breathe <laughs> out mm-hmm. of the box. But I think that you made a really good point that we all are kind of transitioning in a way. And I think it's giving people an ability to a lot of younger people, especially oh. this new generation to just kind of like buck the system and be like, you can't tell me who I am. And that's like what we need right now. Mm-hmm. So sure. when you decided to transition, were your family and friends accepting of when you decided to do that? And did anyone surprise you kind of negatively or positively with their reactions? Oh, it was all, for the most part, a positive response for me, which I am very thankful for. Some of the people who are the closest to me on the friend side said, it's interesting, some of my friends from college, they were like, it's interesting for you to say that because we kind of always saw you as a girl. Like, And I had like some relationships with with men who were straight men a couple of them who actually said something very similar. And like I would had some very interesting sort of awkward relationships with straight men where like they treated me the same as they treated the rest of the girls in their lives before I was open about things. And like one of them in particular was like, well, now I understand why I've always felt the way I felt with you. Like I've always felt like you were one of the girls anyway. Like there was no, there isn't such a change for me. You are, you know, starting to dress differently or starting to look differently, but the spirit has always been the same. And so I think it was the most surprising thing for me, I guess, might have been when I had to tell my mom, of course, that was a time. And she took some time to come around as moms do. And it was never, I will say this, it was never coming around to accept. It was coming around to actively start to understand. To process, probably. To process, exactly. When things like name changes and that kind of stuff come up, it's when it's your mom, like she knows the child she had and put all those thoughts and things into as you grew up. And, you know, I started transitioning in my 30s. So so for her, it was like, oh, now you, now you want me to like, (laughs) now warning? warning? (laughs) Um, It's like, now I'm supposed to. So, I mean, so it's taken her a little bit of time. And I find it like, it's brought us closer over the years. It's brought us like much closer. We were close growing up, but there was a period in my twenties, which I feel like a lot of people experienced this. There was a period sort of in my twenties when we started to like separate a bit more. The more I started getting into myself, I sort of moved away from the parental relationship and transition has really, our conversations are different. She has different fears for me now, of course, than she ever did. It is very different for a mom when she's concerned about her daughter who's living alone in the city. And like all of those things, like sort of 
we've had conversations about privilege and what that looks like and like what male privilege is as opposed to what it feels like to not have that. Yeah, it's been really supportive for the most part. I think that there are friendships and such that have fallen or faded away, which is sad and that hurts. But at the same time, you know, relationships sometimes are for seasons. And and I also understand that like some of these people didn't sign up for a girlfriend. Some of these people didn't sign up for, you know, what, uh, there are some girls in my life that sort of <laughs> just faded away. And I realized like one of my friends, I was out with two girls and one of them started getting really weird with me in this bar because there was a guy in the bar that sent a was drink to you. a table for me. <laughs> mm, she got jealous. Girl. I don't think that she was ready for that because it's not what she was used to with us. And our other friend texted me and was like, girl, you're okay. Feel good about the drink. Feel good about you. She just is not ready yet to know that she has a new girlfriend. And like, Girls can be catty. Like, it can be a thing. Yeah, welcome to this. Yeah, yeah. It's a Thunderdome. And I was like, I said to my other friend, I was like, the thing that you don't understand, though, is that guy sending, we're sitting here at this lounge or whatever. We're having drinks. We're laughing. We're having a good time. This guy that she had been talking about sent a drink to me. What you don't actually understand, though, is it's not as simple for me as it is for you to just accept that drink and go, oh, well, no, I got now. We're just open to possibilities. That's not my journey. Actually, our world has not evolved yet enough for me to get to have that kind of freedom of knowing that. Instead, I'm now thinking, oh, God, wait, does he know? If he doesn't know, is he going to be like aggressive with me? Will he, will he be violent with me? If this person finds out that I'm trans or knows that I'm trans somehow, is he going, going to be the one who attacks me or t- or takes me out of the world? Like there's things that like are really kind of dire and not great that go into the processing of even a first meeting with a guy. There's a reason why when I meet men now, I think all women sort of are constantly sort of afraid of physical violence with men. And I think when you add the layer of being trans on top of it, it is heightened even more so. There's a reason I shouldn't be in a world where I meet a guy and he says a hello and I have to wonder in my mind if he'll kill me. Like literally that extreme because of the numbers that we see and because of what's happening. And it's it's not always, I guess I can say this. I mean, I've had moments when I have had sort of violent things happen to me since transition. I've had two different instances of things happening to me. And neither of these instances were moments when the guy didn't know or the guy was somehow being quote unquote tricked or fooled. No, he knew everything because I am not someone who meets people without disclosing. I'm going to let you know right away because I don't want to waste my time with you if you're violent, if you have something going on. Like, I don't want to deal with that. I'm too old for that. And so for me, it's like, I want you to be comfortable with who you are before I'm going to let you into my space. And so with both of those instances, like they knew there was no, it was, I believe, you know, perhaps about substances or something that they might have been on or things that might have been going on outside that I, after the fact, I can think about now and go, maybe that's what this was. But there really is no excuse for me having been attacked. You don't think it was rooted in bigotry? What do you mean? The attacks. Like when someone was violent with you, do you think it was their own stuff? Do you think it was rooted because you said that they knew? So if they knew, where was that coming from? Was it because they were on drugs or on something else or they just... I mean, I do think it was a combination of like societal, like what happens if. Oh. 
these are both instances that were in my home. Like these yeah, are both Jesus. instances that were like in my space. These were dates. These were these these were situations <laughs> where like the person, for all intents purposes, should have been okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think part of it, and sorry if this sounds, I don't know, ignorant, ignorant, <laughs> always learning lessons. But do you think any part of it is ever? Oh well, she was a man at one point, so like she can handle it or something like that. Ooh, like that's interesting. So what I will say to that. I was never a man. And so I was always a trans girl just in the experience. But how you just said that is exactly how I think some of these men think and how some of society makes their minds think. And so society puts this idea of if I'm attracted to her, does that make me gay? If I'm attracted to her, does that somehow make me queer in some way or something as opposed to she's a girl and I like girls yeah. and so it doesn't really I feel like it's also just so much simpler than people make it yeah with nuance I am not a trans girl that's like I am exactly like a cis woman how dare you like I don't say that because I'm not like my journey has not been the same as a woman who is cis greatly because in some ways because I'm not cis so I think these guys a lot of them I think or at least the people that I have dealt with I think they are more concerned about how they might look or feel in society and what their bros might think of them and like what they're, I mean, I could do all sorts of like blaming of like self being like, well, look, I, I shouldn't have been hanging out with trade anyway. (laughs) I'm too over that. I'm not like this random neighborhood boy life is not what I should be dealing with at this point in my life. But like (laughs) a girl has needs. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but what she doesn't expect is that then he's going to be violent. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that's unacceptable. What she doesn't expect is that now she's going to have to experience something that could be like, well, it's not even could be. It is traumatic because like one of these people, quite frankly, I, this happened sort of early transition and I sort of blocked it out. I do a good job of that. I realize that about like, I do a good job of like, of putting things aside and then compartmentalizing them and putting them way back in the brain and blocking them out. And then recently in the past, like six months or so, I see him every day. He's like on my block every day. I think he's probably like a dealer or something. That's what I've sort of gathered by how I'm seeing him and sort of who's around him and what's happening. He does not remember me. Possibly because this was early transition and I do, I have evolved a bit, but like I, he doesn't remember me. I certainly remember him. And because the first Mm -hmm. time I saw him, I froze. Like I felt like an immediate, like, oh my God. Like I felt like I was back to that night. Oh my God. I remembered that it had happened, but I think I had just tucked the feeling away. It was a lot lighter to me after a couple of years mentally than when I ran into him and I'm like, oh God, I feel like I'm a, like a victim. Like, I feel like this was more traumatic for me than I actually realized it was. And it took me, the fact that I literally see him every day, it took that. I think the universe is fantastic in how it takes care of us sometimes because it actually let me process that this man is holding such a power lock on me from what he did and he doesn't even remember me. So like, I mean nothing to him. I was literally a night for him that, you know, didn't go the way he expected that he wanted it to. And then he did something he shouldn't have done and he ran out 
And I was nothing to him, really. I didn't mean anything to him. And so why my processing then became, why am I letting a human who I mean nothing to hold this lock on top of me? Why am I letting this jackass hold this lock on my emotions, on myself, on my spirit? Why do I feel shut down when I see him? He's not worth that. He's not worth me giving that kind of power to. And so now when I see him, it is very different. Now when I see him, it's interesting because he tries to flirt. (laughs) 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 And I just ignore and I just keep walking. I just jump in my taxi and go on my way. He just sees this girl coming out every day, jumping in a taxi and running. (laughs) And he could be on that block because he's waiting for you to come outside. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) You'll never have a chance. (laughs) You're taking your power back. Yeah. Kind of speaking to the society aspect of it. You know, and we don't have to get too in-depth about it, but I just kind of want to know what your personal reactions have been to kind of all these bills that have been passed and that are proposed and that how this kind of like, I don't want to say it's a backslide because like you said, there's been trash humans around forever. It's just the fact that it's kind of being solidified in law. How has that affected you emotionally? In some ways, I think it's actually like hurting the progress that we could be having. So like if these conversations were less about like if we are so concerned about children who say that they are trans and they express a need for some kind of gender affirming care. If we are so concerned about those kids, then why are we not then upping the ante on mental health care and all these things that will allow these children to be more clear about where they are in their journeys? And like, I think that there's a fear if they do that, then more of these kids are going to come out and say, I'm trans or I'm non-binary because that's what's happening. It's like with a little bit of visibility. Yeah, it's like with a little bit with a little bit of visibility, people start to see examples of themselves and go, oh, my God, that's me. I am that. And like, that's growth. That is great. It blows me away to see young people when I see, you know, when I see some, you know, 12, 13 year old who is trans and like living their life, I'm like, oh, my God, like, if I had been able to be that free at that age, like, how would things be now? Where would I be in my own life now? Like, I think that it's beautiful. What I'm not a fan of is doctors and well-intentioned parents pushing children into things that they that they might not be ready for. And I think that's a different conversation than their need or ability to have gender affirming care. I think that like I think that I've met a couple of parents of trans kids and they are beautiful people and they are excited about their child being honest with them and they're excited about trying to find ways to make their child feel affirmed, which is wonderful, but a lot of times the parent only knows what they see too and what they're told. And so they see examples of this, you know, fully transitioned human and that's what my child wants to be. And it's like, I want you to sit and talk with your child today and tell your child how beautiful they are. Today, right now, when your child is crying to you about being in the wrong body or everything being off or everything being wrong, when your child is young enough that like they wouldn't even be able to have these conversations in a serious way, for another few years, you have to help your child be able to live and survive those years. So this is a great chance for you to then talk to your child about, you know what? This is the body of a trans girl. This is what a trans girl's body looks like. This is what a trans boy's body looks like. This is what a non-binary body looks like. And that's 
not something that we see every day. It's not something that you know, but you're beautiful and you are perfect and you are great. All those things, we don't get told that. We never get the opportunity to see ourselves as an option that is already beautiful. We only have conversations about what we want to be. And so it's like, I feel like I would love to see more of a conversation about children having options and young people having options to see wherever your body is, wherever you fall on the spectrum, wherever those things are, all of those things are perfect. You did an interview for Broadway.com. And one of the quotes that you said was, it took me a while to find me. I want it to be easier for others. And I think you have to see yourself in order for that to happen. Exactly. What are some ways you think someone can see themselves earlier and or accept themselves? Huh. I think seeing examples is certainly one of the ways. And now we are we are in a time where there are examples out here. Kids have young people, people, period. I keep saying kids, but it's also like there are people in college. There are people who are in their 20s. There are people who are in their 30s who have access now to the internet, to social media. If you have questions about yourself, there's lots of examples and things for you to look at and do that exploration. Yeah. So I guess kind of along those lines, in your own career path, like where you are, and I know you consider yourself a little bit different from some of the people in your family and, and all of that, that it's oh, which, drastically different from my family. <laughs> <laughs> well, the family, which I think is natural and normal, even within, you know, anybody's community is it's perfectly, that's why I love that you said that we're all transitioning because in a way we are all, it, it, we all hopefully are growing. Hopefully. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The ones that are willing and not trash people are growing in some way. <laughs> and whether that's accepting the growth in other areas or within themselves or, or any of it. But do you think Broadway and kind of mainstream entertainment has made enough strides to be more inclusive? And what would you <laughs> love to see happen for kind of the LGBTQIA plus community as a whole? Oh, I love that question because there's layers. If I can keep my train of thought to answer them. So <laughs> I think that Broadway and the entertainment community sort of at large, I believe that they have taken steps that they deem as progressive without consulting the groups that they are getting the benefit of representing. I think I think that there's been a lot of, and this is happening like on a regular basis. I think that there are lots of people getting pats on the back for things that are like actually, in some ways that are actually harming the communities that they're talking about representing. And so <laughs> I think when people's ego gets out of the way, we can actually take steps forward. It is difficult to grow when you're celebrating inclusion and bringing more people into the room. It does not matter if we are in the room, if we have tape over our mouths. It does not matter if we are in the room, if there is harmful language and pictures all around us that you're not asking us if we're okay with and you're watching us feel awful about it. So I think that our business has a long way to go. And I think that there's, of course, people like, well, you got a Tony nomination. How dare you say that? Well, I'm talented. <laughs> yeah. Also, this so should have happened a while ago. And people, people, 
people people acknowledge that I'm talented. <laughs> and is that suddenly, well, how dare you, trans woman, you know, speak back at the industry? It's like, it's not me speaking back. I love our business. My whole heart and soul is in our business. And to the extent that I wish I could break up with it sometimes. I wish I could be like, you know what? I'm over it. I'm out. I can't do that because my heart is in it. I've always wanted to do this since I was a little kid. So because I love our business, I'm really committed to trying to find ways to help us do better, to help us get to a version of what inclusion actually looks like. Because what people don't seem to understand is these conversations about inclusion and diversity. It's like, in my life and in the rooms that I build, they already are that. So when we're begging and pleading for inclusion, it's like inclusion with who? Like what we're actually having a conversation about here is that white people are being centered and white cis people and white cis and straight people are being, well, I can't say just straight because in theater it's very gay. So like white <laughs> people and mostly white gays are like dominating the conversation so much yeah. that like, there is no space for anybody else. And then when they want to make space or allow space, it's then we brought this, you know, person of color into the room. I'm like, well, white is also a color. So what do you mean person of color? Like even these conversations around POC, someone recently was like, I wish you would stop saying POCs or people of color because white is also a color. And even that phrase centers whiteness as the norm. And I was like, pew, blew my mind. Because I was like, that's actually true. It's like, how can we actually be an equal room when we are still centering one group and making everyone else feel like we are the we are the minority? It's like if if we want to actually create an equitable and diverse room, white people have to also be a part of the percentages that are being tallied out. And so like, but we don't think about it that way because. Do you feel like it's a, I think it, I just had a, like a, a light bulb. So for you, it probably feels like, sure, you can come in, you can sit there, you just can't sit there. Interesting. For me, it has felt like you can come in, we want to know your thoughts, we love how you speak, we want to hear your thoughts, and now we've heard them. Thank you so much. But wait, but you didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, but you didn't do anything. <laughs> What's she going to do with them? And it actually, like, I got emotional. I was crying. And I was really, like, I really shared a lot in this conversation. And then you didn't do anything. And I'm telling you that you're stepping on my foot. And then you keep stepping on it. Like, yeah. even after the conversation. And then you look at me and go, what can we do for you? Yeah. Please stop stepping on my foot. Like, I've, I've been saying it over and over again. And, like, you still keep doing it. It's very <laughs> rude. You even asked. <laughs> like, and I, I gave even, you an answer. I didn't and- to you. <laughs> told you we did this whole thing (laughs) like i feel like that's that's what it actually feels like it feels a little bit like and then it becomes like i said to someone there are spaces and look i don't think this is the case for everyone i do think that this is like a general wash conversation i think that there are always exceptions to the rule of course but it's one of those things where i was speaking to someone i was like i feel like sometimes i enter spaces and people realize that i am inconvenient because they would rather get the benefit of having a human in the room who checks off these boxes, but that has no voice than having that same human in the room. And then me daring to ask questions Mm. or me daring to go, Oh, great. So this piece is about this, 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 well, you know, great. Well, I have a question about this. I'm curious about this. I'm an actor who needs to have a POV if I'm going to do the thing. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not just here to just say any random words out of the blue. Like, I need to know why am I saying this? Where are you coming from? What is this about? And, you know, my being in this room, there's instances where, like, I could be asked to do a project and, like, I go in. She looks great on the page. Everything's, like, seeming to be awesome. I'm like, okay, this is cool. Let's just do it. And then afterwards, there's this conversation of, well, so do you think that she's Black? What? I just read her. I just did her. What do you mean? Do I think she's... I'm Black, so so she is. <laughs> yeah. And like, well, but do you think that the way that it's written now, that she speaks the way a Black woman speaks? How does a Black woman speak? I read everything correctly, right? That's what mattered here. Or, you know, or... Since she did it, we're just very curious. Is she trans? I'm playing a character. You're the one who wrote it. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not adding that to her if I don't think that she is. On this page, she's talking about having a child. So I dare say she's not a trans woman. Yeah. I say that this character is a woman who is not trans. And yet, here I am, Trans L. Morgan, playing this role. And so now you're wondering, oh, well. So because you're doing it, does that mean that she's trans? No, it doesn't mean that she's trans because I'm playing it. Because I'm telling the story. Did you believe the story? Yeah. So then she's not. Like, I don't need to. And I think it's interesting because it's a, there's so many larger conversations happening. And, like, I think no group, no matter who you are, no group, we all hold multitudes. No one needs to be sort of, we don't do anyone any service by diminishing their experience to one adjective, to one trait that they hold. We really erase their humanity by doing that. And so I would love to be in a place where my humanity is not erased in a room because you're only choosing to focus on the fact that I, as a human, am a trans woman. No matter what it is on the page. If I read Still Magnolias, they're not suddenly trans because I'm there. This is blowing my mind because it's like, in what world would, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal be reading for Brokeback Mountain and they'd be like, so do you think he's gay? Like, what? What? Like, I... He just spit on his hands. (laughs) He is in love with a man. I don't know. Again, did you not write this? Did you bring it from somewhere else? Like, are you just... Is this a rhetorical question? Am I not playing him gay enough? (laughs) It's real. Well, that's the thing. It becomes... I love that you said that. Because then it becomes, oh, well, if she is somehow then trans, so am I supposed to really trans her up? What does that mean? Like, yeah. what, is that, what does that look like to you? Because I'm actually a bit afraid of what that means to you. Yeah, now I'm scared. I mean, I've had friends who have been on episodics. I have a friend who was cast as a role that was a trans woman on an episodic. And there was a moment in a, there was a scene in a taxi cab where the driver looks at her in the rearview mirror and I guess clocks her. So I guess realizes that she's trans. And like, they said to my friend they were like okay well we're just having we're having trouble believing that she's gonna see it when she looks in the river mirror so we need to figure out a way to make this work and then the makeup person proceeds to come in and adds facial hair to my friend and my friend is like mortified number one like (laughs) You basically are like turning me into like a science project in this scene for somehow how do we make her look different? You're doing something that like so many people are very dysphoric about or feel uncomfortable with. And like 
there's also this world where like, yes, that is offensive and crazy. There's also this world where if that's what you wanted in this scene was for there to be someone who is femme of center, who has facial hair, who is sitting in the taxi and the driver looks at them and is like wondering what's going on. That's a different story. And for all intents and purposes, that person who is feminine of center might still be a trans woman. But there is this idea of like, ooh, but when we see that beard on that makeup face, we know you're trans. And it's like, that's what we have to have. We have to have some getcha gotcha in order for people to be interested in different people. And it's like, is that what you mean when you ask if this character is trans? Is the next incarnation of this piece going to be, you're going to ask me to spittle in facial hair on my face? Like, because I'm not like, what you all don't understand, again, doing that erases humanity. Because the reality is, and my friend knew this, the reality is in that taxi cab scene, she could have been who she is every day. And that person could have looked in that rearview mirror and felt something a little different and been like, hmm, are you trans? That is real. That happens. That happens when I'm standing in line at Macy's and some man is eyeing me down, has been walking around the store, trying to make a pass, flirting, making eyes at me, and we're standing in line. I have not once entertained this man because honestly, he didn't have a chance. (laughs) (laughs) I've said before, a girl has needs. If he did, he would have gotten it, but didn't have a chance. But as we're standing in line, something tips him off. And I see when he realizes that I am trans, Because I see him get violently angry in line, starts cursing, throws his stuff down and walks out of the line. And I'm like, see, this is the problem. I didn't do anything. I've just been trying to get a dress here at Macy's. I've been walking here getting a dress at Macy's. What you should have been doing was helping the girl that you were with in this section get the dress she needed to get. Instead, you were in my face. He went through a whole journey with himself. Like he had a whole argument with his own Uh self for no reason. And those are the people that will be like, oh, she's out here trying to fool people. Who am I fooling? I never spoke to you. Yeah. I tried not even to make eye contact with you because I felt you looking down my throat. You kept trying to say, hey, ma, hey, ma, what's up? Hey, you don't want to talk to me? You don't want to talk? No, I don't want to talk to you. That's I'm here getting a dress. Leave me alone. <laughs> Why are you in the women's section? <laughs> to be fair, there is a group of men out there that do this to all women in a way. Absolutely. Of like, Absolutely. hey, girl, hey, girl, hey, girl, hey, girl. Hey, hey, you like me? You think, I think you're sexy. Da, da, da. Uh-huh. Um, no, please leave me alone. Oh, fuck you. You bet. Yeah, exactly. You, it's you, like they immediately turn. And it's like, back. you're clearly a bitch if you're not into me. So, uh, and it's like, wow, way to really show the maturity. I'm actually really. <laughs> you uh, seem really secure. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> right, validated right. in my choice right now. Right. Because <laughs> had I come to him and been like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll talk to you. Here's my number. Do you think that I would be interested in that person who mm-hmm. might come out later? Yeah. There's nothing attractive about that. Yeah. Zero. So nothing. So bizarre. It's like there's the little like things that people notice. Like if there's a group of guys, if it's a guy and his friends and he flirts with you, mm. he doesn't know. Mm. If he's by himself, there's a possibility that he might know and it's fine and you talk and it's but when there's a group of guys, it's, it's always about that 
masculinity is very fragile. And it's like about that idea of what would my boys think if we know that she is trans? And it's never just as simple. When I say, it's weird because even when I say that, I don't hear anything wrong about that. Like I hear like, what would my boys think if she's trans? Okay, well, well, she's trans. Like, I mean, what is the big deal? But they hear in their minds all this other stuff. They hear, oh, well, she used to be uh, this and she was this. And it's like, well, you, none of you understand her because she was never, actually, if this is a trans woman, she was never a man. She was assigned male at birth. Absolutely. But this well, is a trans girl. That to me also is like saying, okay, what about somebody who is gay, but you're like, but they used to be straight before People they do came out. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's People like, say that. I'm sorry, What? Like, so you're not attracted to them now because they were at one. That's just such a crazy. Laura, you just blew my mind. (laughs) That is totally. Yeah. I mean. But there's a world where people are even more attracted because of that. mm, There's a world where people are like, because you were not always, you know, comfortable with being. Oh, there's another story. So now we're interested in that. And actually, you said that it's interesting because now I'm like. There's a world where, like, men who are, you know, gay today, who were not identifying as gay before, looking at one right now, become even more attractive because of that. Yeah. You're like, right. oh, so, oh, so the girls have a chance. Yes. <laughs> it becomes, yeah. It becomes, like, you're comfortable with. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 And yeah. the day that people become comfortable to hit on you in a group with their boys, I think, is kind of the ideal in a way yeah. that well, this you know, is. Mm-hmm. Things are more normal, quote unquote, at that point. Yeah, and nothing's ever really normal, but it's at least that very sensitive masculinity that we can somehow, I don't know, fix it. I don't know how, but. It's so exhausting because what they don't realize is the guy that is already comfortable in his masculinity and who doesn't care is so much more attractive. So hot. And will literally get so much more play they don't get this this like false performative masculinity is so disgusting it is i I felt like for a little while there when we were really getting into like metro guys that we were on the track we Uh were getting there (laughs) and then it was like skinny jeans were out and then we lost it i don't know Mm -hmm. what happened but it's just it's (laughs) it's just such a bizarre i guess i mean it's just the psychology of people and i guess kind of coming to terms with what they were taught, the little uh, labels mm-hmm. of everything, and how does that change their identity, how they think of themselves. And people well, that's ego. If I like this person, what does this say about me? Yeah. It's a, it's- and there's nuance to that because, quite frankly, you could like this person and you would think it's this. I might think it's something else when you like that person. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. my opinion. That's not even Subjective. about you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's why, I mean, there's a world where I wish we could just sort of trash all the labels and throw them out because at the end of the day, we're all animals. Mm. And so like, it's like, if we would actually just lean into that, we might all be a whole lot happier. Yes. Yes. Agreed. We would just percent. do what we want to do, see who we want to see, play how we want to play. And nobody's giving like, oh, well, if I see you, then I'm this. I'll follow. It's like, no, we are all animals. Who cares about all this? If I'm attracted to you, we're going to play. Like, that's all this matters. Like, I don't care what you are. That's not my business. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. And we definitely don't want to take up 
any more of your afternoon because we know you've either got to go out there and enjoy it and have that cocktail or hit the payment, whichever one, you know, this day, wherever it takes you. But we do have a tradition on this show before we can let you go. And that's the question of the day. And we like to kind of do this because sometimes we talk about a lot of intense stuff and this is just kind of like fun. So would you... L. Morgan Lee, rather have whatever you're thinking appear above your head for everyone to see or have absolutely everything you do live streamed for anyone to see? <laughs> Good luck. Ooh. Oh, God. The bubble I would get into. <laughs> I would rather have the bubble above my head mm. because at least that would only be for the people who are in the room with me. Mm-hmm. Right. I could see that. I yeah. don't like the idea of my thoughts being live streamed. <laughs> oh, it would just be everything you do, not your thoughts. It, oh, interesting. So you everything can control I do. what you're everything doing. Everything you do. So but like, then you, you know, watch. you're cooking breakfast, that's still, you're going to audition. You know? Yeah, see, it's not the breakfast and the audition that I'd be nervous about. It's all the others. The yeah. private <laughs> conversation. <laughs> After hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then she left her apartment at 1130. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah, I have not signed up for a reality TV show. So yeah. yeah. And even those are edited. So, you know, that's true. it would be you, if you had chosen the heels, falling and rolling down the red carpet from every angle. So... I think I'd rather the bubble with my thoughts being seen in the room with me because that might yeah. also, for me, that might also help me sometimes. I can be a little <laughs> shy. And so I think if my thoughts were seen, people would realize, oh, that's who she is. Okay. Mm. <laughs> How you I wonder beautiful. what goes on in your I brain. Like, I was like, <laughs> the things that happen in my brain are, it's, I mean, Writers could be writing TV shows about that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This could be an opportunity, actually. Right, Shonda. Be helpful. <laughs> yeah, if Shonda could see the bubble right across. People just the... start stealing your thoughts, though. <laughs> that would be awful. <laughs> wow. Well, we can't tell you enough how grateful we are for your time today. And it has just been, you know, I think it's been a very important conversation. But I also think that, we, I mean, I definitely, I've known you for a long time, but I definitely learned a lot about where you are now as opposed to all those years ago when we first met. And it's just, you're such a beautiful human and we're so grateful that you came on next page today. Yeah. Oh my God, just, no, thank you. This was fun. It was, <laughs> it was really fun. I don't know. We laughed a lot and I, we did. you know, sometimes that does not happen on here. No, so. no, it gets very serious. So we really, yeah, can't thank you enough. And I really loved meeting you and I hope you that too. we can get together in New York sometime. So absolutely, so much fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on and just have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. So what did so, you think? Well, I want to know what you thought because I've known her for years, but I want to know what you thought. Well, for one, I'm super jealous that you've known her for years because she's <laughs> so awesome and just so fun. And like, I like that she, even with all these like heavy topics and, and just the intensity of everything that's going on with the trans community and what they're going through, that she brings some levity and some perspective that it's still like, you know, this is important and we need to talk about this, but a lot of it really is much simpler 
then we need to make it like that at the end of the day, this is all about just acceptance and hundred percent and loving each other and not dictating what's right and what's wrong about something that does not, isn't harmful to anybody. It's infuriating to me that there are people out there that try to make it otherwise. And Elle Morgan, I love that you said that, Laura, because she does bring a little bit of humor to all of this, Mm -hmm. too. And she looks at it as like, I don't know, her chill vibe just like kind of permeates through the airwaves. I mean, she's just a very, very laid back. She said, she's, didn't she say in the beginning of the interview that she said, you know, I'm just a boring girl. I'm just a boring <laughs> just a girl. Boring, I'm just a boring girl. But she's not boring at all. She's not at boring all. at all. That's what's no. so funny. But I think I she know. just means that she's not flashy. She's not in your face. She's not trying to perform. I think she spent so much of her life performing in everyday life to pretend That's what, to be somebody. When she somebody. said that, that really like gave me the chills when she said that she had been performing as a man for, for yeah. all those years or what she, or a boy or what, what she thought that that was. And she was only operating at 20%. Like she is the real deal. And I love that her first Broadway show, she won a, or she nominated for a Tony award and she won and the nomination. I love that it's she just brought crazy. up that, I love that she brought up that she was like, yeah, no, I got that Tony nomination because I'm talented. Like, I'm good at this. (laughs) And it's like, yes, queen. And I remember even telling Leia about, we were going through her Wikipedia page together. And she was like, she's the first? You'd think the Tony Awards, the the Tonys would be all over this, like, way sooner. Yeah, you would think, no, the Tony Awards are, 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 listen, we love the Tony Awards. We respect the Tony Awards, but the Tony Awards have a lot of growing to do. (laughs) Yes, we want a Tony Award. We would love a Tony Award. But there are still, we still have a lot of work to do. And I think that she, I don't know, I just was very touched by her humility. And a lot of people don't know this, but she is a phenomenal photographer. I mean, yes. phenomenal. You go on her Instagram, she's got some of those up there and it's she's very good. It's called Blue Photography. And I'll tell you, it is, every time I did a shoot with her, I always came out with these pictures that this should be in a magazine. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. her eye is so, yeah, but I am so happy that she just did her solo show, and I heard it went very, very well. But I'm so glad we got to have her on the yeah, podcast today. I felt honored to be speaking with her at all. And Aww, it was, yeah, I think she's it, so cool. It helped that you were here and y'all have that relationship because it felt like we were old friends, and I liked it. Like, yeah, it was, yeah, it did. It was a it special did. experience for me, just in Aww, general. Oh, yay. So, we, thank you. We love. We love well, yeah. we, I also loved her answer to the question, but let me ask you the question of the day. Would you rather have whatever you are thinking to appear above your head for everyone to see or have absolutely everything you do live stream for anyone to see? I would have to go with the bubble. I don't want it. Like, let's be clear, because we talked about this, like, I don't want people reading my thoughts. And I'm sure it'll be something absurd, but somebody could brush it off as like, oh, that was just that one crazy thought she had or whatever. All the time, like, when I'm showering, like, come on. Let's get out of my life a little bit. I need some privacy. Sounds very like Truman. Would you want to be in the Truman show or would you? (laughs) In no way. I agree with you that I would want the bubble. I would not want everything I do to be on display. I'd rather have people know how I really feel about them. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not even going through like an altruistic or like, oh, this is a more positive thing. Like, I just feel like I'd be horrified if everybody watched every single thing. Like how many times I just... Because some stuff should be private. These All these reality shows in everybody's faces. I don't get it. But... 
We cannot thank Elle Morgan Lee for coming on the program enough and all of her. She's such an incredible actor and just a wonderful human all around. Yeah, just a beautiful soul. Oh, yeah, she can sing her face off. Yeah, beautiful soul. I had a great Mm -hmm. time. Thank you so much, Elle Morgan Lee. And I hope we do get together and have a brunch and I get to hear y'all sing. Oh, we will. Yes, we will. It's going to happen. Put it out there. (laughs) Always great to see you. Always. Love you. Bye. Love you too. Bye.